Welcome everyone to the 53rd Fireside Chat. Thank you all for being here today. We're going to start off with Cheryl Bailey, who has a couple of questions for you, Tom. Me first? Goodness. Oh, hi, Tom. Hi, Cheryl. Um, what are your What are your questions? I have two questions, oh, if I have time. The first question, I try to make it shorter, but it's just not. It's, um, it, I want to go, um, expand on the question I asked last time and I'd ask you, you know, how to help others while I'm trying to grow and become and get rid of my fears and all those things. And, and how sometimes when I would interact with the people and everybody around me, how they were not reacting very well. And I didn't know what was going on because I thought for sure me getting rid of my fears was going to help them too. But it wasn't helping them. It was causing them problems. So I asked you how to help others while I change, while I change and grow. And you said in a caring, loving way, slowly show them the new, the new Cheryl and the new way that I would, you know, just don't put it all out there. And this is what's going on because it was scaring them. I didn't know that that white look on their face was fear. I thought they just didn't understand what was going on. But then after I talked to you, it was like, oh, oh, they're scared. I'm doing this. So, see, I'm a, and you told me I'm a player in other people's reality and need to be understanding of where they are and gently show the changes, help them feel safe and that everything is going to be all right. Safety first. <laughs> with, with caring, I had no clue the change in me was scaring people. I had no clue at all. My, I thought, see, but this was the part that was about me. You know, my hard work, I'm working really hard here to get rid of my fears so it'll help you be around me. <laughs> so as I was reducing my entropy in, in, within myself, I was raising entropy in other people. So I asked you how to split my, uh, and so I asked you how. How do I do this without scaring these people? Because uh, I had no idea. And so you told me I needed to split my awareness. Like I was, like I do when I drive a car. Like when I drive a car, I can, I can, uh oh, where'd my light go? Oh goodness. Oh, there we go. Um, so I, I had trouble splitting my awareness <laughs> unless I was in a car. And you told me to split my awareness and with part of my awareness on what, how I was interacting, the other part of my awareness on other and, and how my interaction with them was affecting them. And not scaring them. So, so I decided that anybody that needs to interact with me, they just need to come with me and go for a ride. That way, I know how to split my awareness in the car. So if somebody tries to, come on, we got to go for a ride. <laughs> and somebody on the comment section said, yeah, that's a good idea. Sure, it's a data stream ride along. <laughs> so I've been practicing. Really practicing at when someone comes up to interact with me, I'm not really making them go for a ride in the car. Uh, it felt like um, the first few times I started, I like, okay, okay, here they come. They're heading right for you, Cheryl. Split your awareness. I was like, oh, here we go. And the first couple of times I didn't do so well, but then I got it a couple of times. And I noticed that when I was talking to them, it was almost like the I, that's me, wasn't there. So this is one of some really odd things I noticed was um, 
it was almost like <laughs> this sounds crazy now that I look at it. Think it again. Um, it seemed like more of like it wasn't me. It was more like a group mind kind of kind of was there, and it was just so much easier to see how I was interacting with others. So I was wondering, is this some kind of group mind that was within us all that is just like dormant because we live so separated and we just need to relearn how to do this trick? To me, it is like a trick. Like I had no idea that I could, that you could split your awareness while you talk to somebody else. It just seemed really odd. But then I noticed a pattern at the immersive. And after the second day in, in an immersive with everyone meditating all day long, it, it, it would kind of switch into that where it was kind of like a group mind. When you're talking to somebody else, it's not about you. It's about the whole thing. So are, is the person becoming the whole thing or is it just like a group mind thing? I think that if we can all understand this piece better, then we all can do better as we're growing and interacting with each other. Because like I was doing before, I was just trying to get rid of my fear and I was scaring everybody else too. <laughs> okay. I can talk to that. Uh, it was your intent is what started this. Your intent to be sensitive to how other people were reacting to you and to what was going on in their mind. And because of that intent, and I mentioned to you about kind of splitting your awareness, which, of course, is a, is a metaphor. It's not actually you have an awareness and then you tear it in two. You're not, <laughs> it's, it's a metaphor for having more than one perspective at the same time. So what you did is you just changed your perspective, and you can change that perspective from, you know, in three ways. If you're interacting, say, with another person, one, it can be just you. You're inside your head and you are you and those other people are just outside and you're not really connected to them at all. The other way is the opposite of that, where you can be in their head and you can see the world through their eyes and their feelings and understand exactly what they're thinking and where they're going. So now you kind of are sharing their mind space and then the third place is where you were, which is the right place to be, is where you're some of both, where you're getting the data stream that defines your point of view. You're getting the data stream that defines their point of view and you and they as a whole thing. So it's just a different perspective. And with your intent to do that, the system started to give you data that described those things. So I, you had an intent to do it. So the system started sending you data streams that had data from your perspective, from their perspective, and from the perspective of the whole. And it is a th it is a thing you can learn to do, and it's really a good thing to do most of the time. When you're talking with people, you really need to be aware of how you are affecting them. And, you know, sometimes you you will upset other people just by, Maybe being truthful or being honest or being who you are, being authentic. Sometimes that can be upsetting to people. And you have to be aware of that and try to, what should I say, try to interact with them in a way that doesn't frighten them. Because if you're frightening people, that's not good. That's not helping anything get along. So if you can, as I told you before, if you can, come at it a little more gently and a little more slowly, that maybe is good enough. 
But you know, sometimes there are people that you just can't interact with very well just because of the way you are and the way they are. And almost any interaction, slow, fast, cautious, anything is going to create a problem because that's just the nature of those persons and the relationship you have with them. In that case, then you have to basically interact in a very superficial, non-threatening way and keep all the other stuff that's inside of you to yourself. In other words, there are times when it's not good to share. And there are times when it is good to share. So sometimes you just have to realize there are some people you just maybe can't share with. And that's okay. You can still be nice to them. You can still, you know, have a good relationship with them in the, all the practical things of daily life. And, you know, we do that at work most of the time. When we go to work, we're not intimately connected to all those people at work. We maintain a, a superficial connection. So we chit chat with them about the weather and about our children or about our pets or whatever else is going on, maybe at the job, but it all stays on kind of a superficial level. And you never really let them see deeper into you because that's really not appropriate in a workplace. What's appropriate is everybody stays focused on getting the job done. Well, sometimes you have to do that even in your personal life. You have to maintain a relationship that is primarily superficial and polite, and you get the job done, things that have to be done, cooperation, you know, things that you have to share and interact with this person, but you just keep yourself to yourself when dealing with those people. Now, that's not most people. That's just a very few people are like that, but you will run into those kinds of people sometime. You need to be aware of it, be aware of how they're reacting to you, and then just kind of rein yourself in to where you're not sharing that with them anymore. And it's sad if that's somebody, you know, close to you in your family or something, you know, if that's a, if that's your mother or your father or your spouse or somebody, then that's, that's kind of a sad place to be. But sometimes it needs to be that way. You can only go as far as, you know, they are willing to interact with you. If they start to feel uncomfortable, once you show them a little more what's under the hood, then you need to stop showing them that and just be nice, superficial, smile, cooperate, do what you need to do, but uh, don't push that because it's part of the, part of the sad part of love is that things don't always work out in a, you know, in a happy way. People that you love and people that love you. Sometimes there's just so much fear bottled up there and so much ego and so many beliefs that you just can't connect with them in a meaningful way but you still can connect with them in the way that you need to, to interact with them, you know, to work together, to, you know, just like at work, you know, to get the work done that needs to be done. You can, you can do that. So what you experienced was something that is good to experience. And eventually you'll find that you experience people like that all the time without really having a, to go to the trouble of making a particular intent to do it. That's just how you interact with people. You see people, and you see it from their perspective and your perspective. And you kind of know when you're talking whether, oops, I better tread carefully here because they're starting to, you know, they're starting to pucker up a little bit and I, I don't want to go there anymore. So then you, you just back up and change the conversation someplace else. So it helps you optimize the communication with other people because you can't communicate with somebody 
if they don't really want to share or if they really don't want to communicate or if they're frightened, you can't communicate. So you just communicate what you can and keep the rest inside. So you did very well. You did exactly what I told you to do. And it is a, it is a great way to, to get a bigger picture of how you're affecting people so that you don't push them farther than they, they want to go and what they're comfortable with. Because making other people uncomfortable is almost always not on the path to success. Oh, so. thank you for that. I will take that with me. Um, are you done? Yep, all done. All go done. on to num- go on to number two. Number two. This kind of goes with the last question a little bit. I listened to uh, you speak the other day about um, how this system is set up a certain way for left logical thinking beings and that it's just like cogs in a wheel where, where it just all fits together and that if you think that way, you can just go through the cogs, you know, the picket fence, then you get 2.5 kids, you know, you can just go with it and it'll go, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it'll your life will just go with it. Right. And th- then you started talking about the different ones. <laughs> <laughs> And you started talking about the different ones. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that look on their faces when I'm just I'm just interacting with them as I see and understand the world from my perspective. I I mean, I can't because I'm just now learning how to get into their perspective and see it from there. Mm -hmm. I always thought that 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 it was just something about me that they just didn't like. And then it's like, wait a minute. It's something about that that doesn't like me. (laughs) it's it's both ways so for the for the life of me i was doing i was just trying oh this is terrible i was trying to fit in but i wasn't ever going to fit in no matter what i did so i quit doing that and and then as i you know was just being myself you know as i'm interacting with people they just get this look on their face and that's what it is they they i mean I just thought everybody knows that there's different people here, that everybody doesn't think the same way. Yeah. So well, go ahead. Okay. Well, this is very, very similar to the, uh, to the, the first question. And that is true. You know, you, a conversation, uh, a communication only takes place when, when you talk to somebody and that somebody knows how to process what you're saying, that somebody can process what you're saying. If you say something and they just can't process it, it's not that they don't like you. It's not that they think you're awful or that you're flighty or that you're insane or anything. It's just that they can't process. They can't process it because they don't think like that and they don't feel like that and they don't understand things like that. So your reality is different enough from their reality that they just can't process it. And you say they get that look in their eyes. That's really not, it's not a look of there's something wrong with you. That's a look of, huh? You know, they just can't, they can't process the information. And the reason they can't process it is they don't have your experience. They don't have your connections. They don't have your bigger picture. They just have the picture that, that is defined by their own experience. And their own experience has probably not been challenged a whole lot. Because like you say, in our culture, 
you know, there's a whole set of things to do and not do. And you, you go right along in the, in the big cultural machine and you do all the things you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do them. And you pop out the other end, a perfectly normal average kind of person in the culture, you see. And it doesn't mean that you don't know that there are people who are different around. It's just you don't know what to do with them. You don't know how to process the things they say. So this, the answer is the same. Don't, don't uh, give people information that they can't process because that does not create a communication. So telling people things that they can't process is usually worse than not telling them anything at all. Even though you're trying to help them understand – but if they're if they're asking the question and they're pursuing it because they want to understand, fine. Now you can explain your your reality to them. But if they're not eager to understand your reality because it makes them uncomfortable because they just can't process who you are and where you're coming from and what you're trying to say, then just don't say anything. Just you know, it takes you know two people have to have similar realities in order to communicate well if you get two people with very different realities it's very hard for those two people to communicate it's very difficult they have to start out almost defining terms you know what does this mean and what does that mean sort of thing you know so people within a culture are good at processing the stuff that's typical within that culture the stuff that's not typical within that culture they have trouble processing well, at least some of it they do. And that's wow. that, that's that stare you're getting back from them. It's nothing negative towards you. It's not uh, anything other than the fact that they just don't know how to put what you've said into some kind of context that means something to them. Oh. So, so you have to be aware that, uh, it's not personal. It's just that you're speaking in a language they don't understand. Even though you're both supposedly speaking English, you're saying things that they can't, you know, that they don't have any context for in their own life. So that's, that's what's going on there. And you know, I run into that all the time too. People ask me to tell them about my experiences, you know, the experiences (laughs) in the, the experiences in the great beyond, you know, the people you've met, the things you've done, the battles you've fought, you know, the whatever, all the stuff in the, in the non-physical, and I don't because of that very reason. If these people have not experienced that, then I can't really communicate to them because they won't be able to process it. They can only process it intellectually. Intellectually, they could follow along and go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but it won't really mean anything to them. And when when it's all done, they they will think, do I believe that? Is that guy nuts? You know, or what? You know, do I believe it? Do I disbelieve it? Uh, Was he just pulling my leg? You know, what's going on? They don't know how. They don't have any context by which to process the information. So you're not really helping them any. And, in fact, I end up feeling like I've confused them more than I helped them because now they think that what I've told them is the way it is out there. And if it isn't that way, then they reject whatever it is they get which is not right. That was just my interpretation of the data. They need their own interpretation of the data. So, yes, that's a thing that, uh, you know, that's a lesson that, that takes a while to learn is that uh, you have to not tell people more than what they can process. 
And, you know, there's a boundary there because you're guessing how much they can process. So you can tell them just a little bit, but then if you get that glassy-eyed stare back from them, well, you know, you've gone stop. far enough and, yeah, it's time to stop back up and, you know, talk about the weather or something yeah, else. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's just, you know, you come from a very right brain, holistic viewpoint of reality and you're learning things and you live in a space that's not typical in our culture. Although there probably are cultures where it would be more typical. There probably are cultures where more people think like you do than, <laughs> than this culture. Well, it would probably be in some indigenous tribe someplace oh, in the, right. in the eastern, uh, eastern part of the northern hemisphere. That would be my guess. But, um, you know, you're learning, you're growing, you're becoming, and don't stop doing that. Keep on doing it. You don't need everybody's approval to do it. You have to do it because you want to do it, because you know it's helping you and that you're growing, and you just keep growing. And if other people have trouble with that, well, just be nice to them, but keep a shallow relationship and don't try to push anything on them. Don't try to get them to understand you in that sense. Talk to them in more generalities, not so much in specifics. And that's probably about as good as it's going to get. You can't have this real deep personal sharing relationship with everybody. It just, no. you just can't have that with everybody. And if you're lucky enough, you can have it with one or two people. <laughs> but even that, you need to be pretty lucky just to find those one or two people. So right. Caroline understands me. <laughs> She's the best. Can I, can I just like one short little thing? Do we have time? Yes. Okay. Sure, go ahead. Oh, okay. Now, when you was talking about the, um, uh, you was another talk, you were talking about, um, meditation and how we, when we first start meditating, we do it religiously. We do it every day and, and, and we want to do it every day and we, we mm -hmm. work on it and work on it. And then all of a sudden it stops and you called this how it ebbed and flowed and mm -hmm. how it seemed like it would just stop all of a sudden and then you stop meditating. I kind of maybe detected a pattern here because you, you said that you thought when it stops, you thought, thought that that may be just a time for the brain to process that information. But I, I experienced something really weird in that in the first part of the last three years, I was, I was learning how to meditate and I was learning how to do my fear work and ego and my belief work. I was doing all of that at the same time. Then all of a sudden it just stopped. This was right after two years. It just stopped. I stopped meditating and then it, there was a shift and I start, I stopped meditating, but I was still really focused on doing my fear work and all that stuff. So what I noticed is what was that little shift and that little break in between the two. Mm -hmm. It shifted. The first part of it was coming out of my intellect. My intellect was working on, oh, what am I afraid of? What The intellect was very strong on that part. The second mm -hmm. piece, when I stopped meditating, it was more from, felt like from the being level. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it was like getting deeper into those fears. Well, I know it was getting deeper in them fears because I was mm -hmm. getting more scared as it went. But <laughs> it seemed like it was more of the at the being level. So I was just wondering, that break in between, really meditating all the time and then you just stop. I wonder if that's the system trying to get you to click in to where you're walking around in alert theta, not the drowsy theta where you're just drowsy and want to eat all day. 
but the alert data where you're actually thinking there, where you're actually interacting from that state. Mm -hmm. So I was just really curious about that because I did have that space in between the two, just like you talked about where it Mm -hmm. just stopped and I could not make myself meditate. And I was just, well, then fine. I just won't meditate right now. So I I just, but that's when it was like the training wheels popped off and I went, Oh no, there goes my binaural beats. (laughs) So, but I just let it be. So I let the binaural beats just fall away. Then I noticed I could click my brain in and out of that mode where before I couldn't when I had the mm-hmm. training wheels on. Yes, that, that is pretty typical. And don't be surprised if, if uh, some months or, or longer from now you go, you want to meditate again and you'll get back into that process. It's a cyclical process. It comes uh-huh. and it goes. Okay. And that's likely to happen. Maybe a year, maybe two years. But what's going on is that when you are doing the meditation, you are learning things. You're connecting with things. You're seeing bigger pictures. You're, you're pulling in a lot of new information about who you are and what you are and how you are. And you're pulling all this stuff in. Well, you can only do so much of that before you have to start applying it to your everyday real life. And that's the switch. You know, so it's like theory and application. You know, when you're, right. when you're meditating, you're, you're getting all the theory, the understanding, the basics. And then you've got this, this feeling that you need to apply it to your life. You have to live it, not just understand it, but right. you have to, you have to live it. And then you live it for a while until all those things you learn become a part of you at the being level. And when you do that, you feel real comfortable as you in the being level. Now you've, you've integrated all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll start to get the inclination, gee, I ought to start meditating again. I miss that. And then you'll start meditating, and then you'll pile up a whole bunch of new ideas and concepts and ways of seeing the world, and then you'll go through a phase where you need to apply that and apply oh. it to your to your world. And then you'll go back through the process of changing yourself to integrate all those things you've learned into the being level. And that needs to be done here not in a meditation state that needs to be done in your everyday life. You see, so Mm -hmm. that's why you go back and forth and it's a typical thing where you will, you know, sometimes like you say, you'll do it for a couple of years and you may not do it for a year or two, however long it takes you to integrate that. But once you've integrated it and you're feeling really good about, well, okay, I pretty much am all that stuff. I, you know, I learned, then you'll start feeling like you need to, to start your meditation again. And it cycles like that for most people. You'll go in and out of that through periods. So don't feel bad. Like, well, gee, I'm not even meditating anymore. You know, what's wrong with me? Am I backsliding? No, it's part of the process of taking what you learn in meditation and actually applying it to your everyday life here in this physical reality, not in the, not in the uh, non-physical space of consciousness, but in the physical space of this reality. So that's what's going on. Perfectly normal. And it's a good thing. Like class. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I love you to pieces. <laughs> love you too, Cheryl. Just keep working, girl. I am working it. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Didi, uh, please go ahead with your questions. Okay. Hi, Tom. Hello, Didi. Hi. Nice to be here again. Um, so let's see. I'm so curious about this question. 
Um, yes, I have bring, brought up my no, notes here. Um, yeah, this is about a choice uh, situation about regarding diet. So I I have not been eating meat a lot in my life. I have most of the time I've been a vegetarian. So and normally I don't eat meat, <laughs> and there are of course exceptions, but there seems to be more advantages with avoiding it and avoid also fish. But <clears throat> out of a health perspective, I really don't know. It seems to vary among people what food that suits you best is something that I have mm-hmm. discovered because uh, there's, I think there are a lot of beliefs within what, what kind of food that is healthy for people. And you think that some foods are healthy for everyone, but it seems to me that it's, that's not the case, <laughs> that it varies mm-hmm. a lot among, around people. Yes. Uh, yeah. But, um, from the evolution perspective, I cannot see any reason why we should interrupt the evolution of animal consciousness if we don't have to, and why we should support the meat industry the way it works today. But I, I do have a very messy body with quite a few health challenges, and it has come to a point where I think it's likely that my health could get better if I include meat and fish in my diet. So now we can see both advantages and disadvantages with with this situation. So and and there are a few things I've been thinking about because being low in energy and not having enough dopamine is very good for my fear work since it brings my fears up to surface so I can work with them very easily. So my fear work would maybe be more efficient by continuing eating vegetarian food and being low in energy. But on the other hand, if I change my diet, it might help me to get more energy and heal. And I would most likely be a better, happier parent and friend. Uh, I could also try to heal myself, but uh, I think that would maybe be cheating. and by I could also, if I start eating meat, support organic livestock breeding and maybe help that industry to establish further. So, so my my dilemma here is: could, could a human's well-being override animals' rights to have their evolution path uninterrupted? So, well, uh, yeah, I wonder if yeah. you can help me with yeah. the big picture here. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, well, you're right, and as much as everybody's different, you know, we're all we're all individual in our biology. There's a lot of things that are common to you, you know, to being human, but there's an awful lot of difference and variation uh, in being human as well. And you're right; some people, um, you know, need more of some kind of nutrients than others. It's just the way your body either makes or processes those nu- nutrients or fails to process those nutrients. So. Diet should be something that works for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I'm a big experimentalist. I say if you have a theory that something might be helpful, try it out and see just as an experiment okay, and see whether or not, you know, if you eat the meat and see whether or not that actually helps. Um, 
I suspect, now this is just my guessing, I suspect that that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. That it's not the, that the meat isn't going to really make that much difference. Now you may get some placebo effect from it where you figure, ah, this is really going to help. <laughs> then it does help because you've got this belief that it's going to help. You may get some of that, but that won't last a long time. So you may get a little upsurge in the beginning if you do that. But you should experiment. And the reason I say that is that, you know, animals eat other animals, right? No, tigers and bears, they eat whatever it is they can find, and they often eat other living things. And nobody claims that they are immoral because they do that. Well, because that's just the way they are, and they need to do that to survive themselves. Okay, so when it gets to a case like yours, you don't necessarily need it to survive. But if it's something that is making your life somewhat dysfunctional and not optimal, if you think that's that's a problem, then I would say experiment with it and see. What I think is probably more like it is that because of your um, – because of the fears that you struggle with and that you have, those fears create changes in your physical body. When you have fears, when you have stress, when you have anxiety, all those things will change your biochemistry. It changes your body. And one of the main things it does is it reduces the amount of neurotransmitters you have. It reduces the amount of, say, serotonin that you have. And if your serotonin is not as much as you need, you start to feel down and lethargic, have a hard time getting up in the morning, kind of hard. You know, you you get low energy. You feel like you want to sleep a lot. You know, that's one of the symptoms of low neurotransmitters. Okay. Now, serotonin is not the only neurotransmitter, but that's kind of the one that's that's best well most well known. Anyway, so my guess is that 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 lethargy and feeling a little little down, you know, not depressed, but just feeling a little down and glum and 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 like you just don't have the energy to get up and go anymore. That pro that sounds to me like a low serotonin or a low neurotransmitter issue, and that is created by fear, anxiety, stress, and particularly fears that have to do with being inadequate or being insecure or not quite being good enough. You know, you don't really like yourself so much that you, you know, you're, you're constantly picking on yourself. Oh, you didn't do that right. Oh, you didn't do this right. You need to change. And if you're constantly being negative towards yourself and picking on yourself for not being all that you think you ought to be, then that lowers your serotonin. And when it lowers your serotonin, it makes you, um, you know, take a step down that road toward depression, which is basically feeling lethargic, not really wanting to get involved, kind of being by yourself, not feeling too social, you know, sort of withdrawn, that sort of thing. So I would say that meat is probably not the solution, but I think it's perfectly all right to experiment. So if you're an animal that needs to eat meat in order to, you know, do well in order to survive well, in order to be efficient, in order to function, then that puts you in the same place as lions and tigers and bears. You know, it's something you need for your health. I suspect that's not the case, but I would encourage you to experiment. 
mm-hmm. and see if that's the case. And uh, like I say, the placebo effect may give you a little upswing in the beginning, but mm-hmm. if it's just a placebo, it probably won't last for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. five, six, seven months go by, and it'll probably that effect would go away if it's not really a biological effect. It's mm-hmm. just a it's a placebo effect. Mm-hmm. So experiment, see what happens. Because mm-hmm. yes, some people need more protein than others. Um, some people need more vitamin C than others. You know, it's just mm-hmm. Our biology is very different. Now, if it's a protein issue, which you could go get some probably blood work done where they could tell you whether or not you're deficient in protein, because that's the main thing that meat brings is more protein. Um, you could, you could have tests done to decide that. But if that's the case, there's other sources of protein as well. You can get protein from vegetable sources. Um, you know, I, I, I work out regularly, so I lift weights a couple of times a week, and I take a protein that's from the hemp plant. It's hemp protein, and it's a brownish powder that uh, that I ingest. It's not particularly tasty. It's not something I look forward to, but it seems to work because if you're going to work out, then you need extra protein when you do that. In general, we think we need a lot more protein than we get. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it is, in, what it is in your country, but in the U.S., mm-hmm. they recommend something like 80 to 100 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. And about all you need is 20. Mm-hmm. All of that 80 to 100, I think, is the meat industry has, uh, you know, mm-hmm. has, has twisted the arms mm-hmm. of the people who make those kinds of things up with money mm-hmm. and got boosted up so they can sell more meat. You know, it's just the way it is. So you don't really need that much protein unless you're doing a lot of hard physical exercise. So if what you do for a living is, you know, run or lift heavy things or that sort of thing, then you probably need more protein. But if you live a normal life, then probably 20, 20 grams, 30 grams, and you get that much with hardly even trying. Mm. You know, it's not that hard to, to get mm. 20 grams of protein in a day without making much effort. So that's why I say it's probably not a protein issue. Mm. But if you think it is, go experiment. Go uh, mm. go try it out. See how it works. That's how we deal with reality is we experiment yeah. and, and mm. see how it works. Mm. So don't, don't feel like uh, that would be a, an immoral thing to do because you could survive without it. It's not just about mm. survival. It's about being at your best, you know. It's about being mm. able to contribute and care and, mm. you know, and and be the best you can be for those people you love. And you can't mm. be that if you're kind of down and, and uh, you know, lethargic. You can't do mm. that. So if you require if you require that meat, then you should eat it. Of course, like you say, you can be careful about the source so that you don't contribute to the to the kind of, um, you know, what uh, big uh, mechanistic farming programs that mm. tend to be, uh, you know, cruel and, and uh, hard on, on animals. You can, be, you can be choosy how you go about getting that. But if you need it to stay healthy and fit, then you should have it. I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> it sounds like it's the fear work that I have to continue with more and yeah. just be patient and the things will just play out and they will they will most they, likely be better but it, yeah. it is good to be down uh, because the fears are so easily to catch 
when you when you're down. So yeah. so it's much easier for the fear work to be like this. <laughs> it is, but when you catch them, when you catch them, don't just throw them away. Get rid of them for good. You know, don't oh, just yeah. bury them or hide yeah. them or push them around. Yeah, you, know, you got to get rid of them. And I think you'll find that if you do get rid of them, and as you do get rid of them. Yeah that uh, you'll start to get more energy, you'll start to, to feel lighter and yeah. more like getting involved in things, and that will tend to pick up on its own. Let's hope that <laughs> it should. Mm. Positive, okay. positive yeah. outlook, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah, Think that's positive, it. be positive. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for that advice. Um, now, uh, this is another topic. Uh, I was in a chat with a person in one of the MBT Facebook groups and he referred to something you had talked about in a recent immersive that consciousness evolves along two dimension, dimensions by becoming more caring and be, by becoming more functional. So I found that very interesting and I wonder, I haven't heard you talk about it, so I wonder if you would like to share some more on that topic well yes as you evolve the quality of your consciousness you uh, do become more caring you become more considerate you become more thoughtful of other you become more cooperative all of those things that that uh, are measures of becoming love but at the same time you become more shall we say uh, you said more functional but you become more powerful you become more influential. You be, you be, you're able to uh, help other people much better. As your consciousness evolves, you help pull other people up around you. People look to you and will come to you for advice and for and for answers and to answer, you know, for them to answer your, uh, for you to answer their questions. So you become a more powerful person. People look up to you as your consciousness, you know, increases. So this idea that people have that, well, you know, if I'm love and it's all about other, I'll just become a doormat and everybody will walk all over me because, uh, you know, somebody will push me around and I'll just say, oh, well, you know, that's just you. I'm not going to bother with that and I won't let you get up. I won't get upset. It's not like that. As you get more and more evolved, you become more and more powerful, not a doormat, but just the opposite. You have... Your ideas are better. What you contribute to group, uh, you know, discussions and what you contribute at the office and everything gets better and better. Mm-hmm. You get more respect. You get more, uh, uh, valuable in as a, you know, as a, as a mother and as a worker someplace, you know, everything gets better. So you end up with, with, um, more power, more influence than you do you know, than you can in any other way. So, so yes, it's very functional in your life to evolve the quality of your consciousness. Mm. Now, look at all the people that you know of who have really done marvelous things, who've changed attitudes, who've basically changed the world in many ways. And if you look at those, you know, for long-term changes, you will find almost all of them were highly evolved people. You know, it's the Martin Luther Kings and the Gandhis and, uh, you know, it's those people who have really changed the world, who have made a big difference in the world. And that big difference just keeps on growing. It's not, it just goes away. 
yes, we have small-minded people like Adolf Hitler, who, you know, made a big flash in the world, but it didn't last long. You see, it didn't even last a decade. It didn't, you know, the influence, the influence waned and disappeared very quickly. Now, he serves as a great model of what not to do and what not to become, you know, and that's out, that's lived him, you know, outlived him, you know, that's gone forward. That this is something that's bad and shouldn't, you know, that we shouldn't act that way. We shouldn't have that kind of attitude toward other people. Um, but what he tried to do got this got deleted basically and disappeared. And that would always happen. So it's the, those people who have changed the world in big ways and those changes have, have been immense and, and important. Those are people that are full of love and caring. You know, Nelson Mandela would be another one, you know, goes in that list and there's probably dozens of people if we sat down and thought about it. And these are just the ones that everybody knows about. For every one of those, there's probably, you know, hundreds that we don't know about who just were really fine, nice people, you know, in their neighborhoods, you know, that uh, they helped everybody else get along and helped everybody else's life be a little better. Yeah. But, uh, they're not famous, but uh, these are the people with real power. They make changes in others that, that go on and last. So, yes, it's very functional to to uh, evolve the quality of your consciousness it's a very functional thing you become more you can give more you can help more because i was thinking more like you know functional things that you do uh, that they also lower entropy like if i clean the house or if i uh, suggest another process at work that is more on the functional yes. side and that, mm -hmm. I think, that yes. also lowers entropy. Exactly. Yeah. It does. Yeah. That lowers entropy. And you also get better and better at that because yeah. when you see bigger pictures, yeah. that allows you to find efficiencies in processes. Right. Where processes get stuck in inefficiency is because people don't see a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. They're only looking at a little piece of a bigger process. Mm -hmm. So those people who have bigger pictures and see whole processes, you know, from the beginning to the end, they can look at the sticking points and point out where it needs to be more efficient. Whereas if you have a little, you know, you live in a little world with a small decision space, you don't notice those sorts of things. So, yes, you get more productive in that way. And you have a sense that you want to have, say, a tidy house. You want to, you know, you want to get up and make your bed in the morning rather than just, you know, not doing that. One might think, well, that's inconsequential. You know, whether your bed's made or not, who cares? But... All of these things are signs of being low entropy, where you want neatness, you want order, you want structure, but that structure has to be meaningful, not just structure for structure's sake. You see, you get those people that want structure just for structure's sake. There's no point in it, and they demand that other people, you know, do this, but it's just doing it because that's what the rules are. In that case, that's not all that helpful. But if it's an expression of a more low entropy you, then that is helpful. And it, it helps everybody else because let's say you clean up the house. Well, all the people that live in that house actually feel a little better because you've cleaned it up. You see, you help, you help spread a little positiveness because they're living in a nicer environment. So it's, you know, it's just something that you can do to help other people.